Hello and welcome to another episode of Living Life with Passion and Purpose. As you all know, I love it when people marry their passion to their purpose. I have been getting a lot of great feedback about the podcast from a lot of you African women in the diaspora. I am grateful for your support. My guest today makes my top 10 inspiring women list. I got to know about her when my Sissy was working on a community health project for her master's degree, and she had come across her work. I am pleased to have Sarah Noor on our podcast today. Sarah was born in Somalia, and she spent part of her childhood in Kenya in a refugee camp. She moved to the United States at the age of 18, A few years ago, her and her family moved back to the motherland. She is a nurse by profession and served as the chief executive officer at People's Center Health Services in Minneapolis. She is the founder and principal consultant of Greed Partners Consulting, a healthcare and leadership consulting firm that places collaboration and community well-being at the forefront in the Horn of Africa. She's also the interim director of Africa Public Health Foundation. She is a recipient of multiple awards, including the 40 Under 40 Award for MSP Business Journal and the 2017 Distinguished Alumna Award from her alma mater, St. Catherine University. One of my favorite quotes from her is, my upbringing positioned me to approach both opportunity and challenge from a position of strength. She lost her mother to a mysterious illness that was potentially preventable and was exposed to the burden of disease and death from a very young age, which motivated her to pursue a degree in in nursing and dedicate her career to improving community health and well-being. She is one of the forefront leaders in public health on the African continent. I loved chatting with her Please join us. Tell me about your journey to becoming, to becoming who you are now. Um, Basically start from the beginning, from when you were born, growing up, your journey to the United States and your journey to to Kenya and what has made you who you are today. So first of all, thank you so much, Praise, for inviting me to your to your podcast. Um, I'm just really delighted to meet you and and to be part of um, your journey uh, as a podcaster as well. I um I was uh, born in some Mogadishu, Somalia, the capital city, um, and grew up there um, until I was in my um, preteen years when the civil war happened um, in 1991. I finished eighth grade um, in Somalia and ended up, uh, my family had to flee because of the civil war and uh, we ended up in Kenya, which is a neighboring country, um, and lived in a refugee camp there for about four years, um, initially hoping we would go back, the war would end and we would go back and resume our lives um, and realized that when that wasn't happening, my parents just pursued another opportunity to see if we could get a sponsorship and we got a sponsorship to uh, move to the United States mm-hmm. in 1995. Um, oh, and ended up moved to the uh, States. 
Really? Yeah. So we have that in common. Um, and we initially moved to the D.C. area. Okay. Um, and uh, it was a really great uh, place to be exposed to the U.S. initially because it's diverse. Mm-hmm. The weather was less harsh. Yes. Um, and uh, then because my I had a family member already living in Minnesota, mm-hmm. um, I decided to, um, when I was applying for college in 1997, I decided to move to, the, to Minneapolis. Okay. Minnesota and um, and then stayed there uh, wow. up until 2018. Yeah, so I, I did my um, undergrad in nursing. I went to a private um, Catholic women's college there mm-hmm. and um, ended up becoming a nurse. Yeah. Um, I worked in a, a county hospital as a renal and cardiac nurse. Um, and it was actually one of my nurse managers there um, who said to me, we, I, I would always bring up the issue of disparity and equity. And, mm-hmm. and we had a lot of homeless patients. We had a lot of low-income patients. And I said, you know, we're putting patients on dialysis and on pacemakers to the streets. You know, we yeah. had that straight to self-care concept because back then there was no social work yeah. <laughs> in the hospitals. And, and then she said to me, you know, Sarah, you're asking really good ethical questions. You're asking uh, important structural and system questions that I think um, are, are really more fit uh, mm-hmm. for more public health and policy arena than at the bedside because things have gone so out of whack for a long time yeah. by the time these patients end up in the hospital yeah. that whatever we do, if we created any type of project or, 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 a, or a program, mm-hmm. our, our impact would always be limited. Right. So she really mentored me out of that job, um, and I ended up uh, becoming a public health nurse, working at a community health center. Wow. Um, where, you know, now instead of taking care of patients on dialysis and, and, re- and kidney and heart failure, now yeah. I started to work with patients who were actually having diabetes and, and you know, hypertension so that I could actually focus on preventing wow. um, them from becoming uh, dialysis patients. And then from there, went back to grad school mm-hmm. um, and got initially thinking I would get a master's in public health and then realized mm-hmm. I really needed to understand the business side of healthcare because mm-hmm. that's actually where decisions get made. And I ended up getting an interdisciplinary master's in health systems administration. So, um, and then right out of that, uh, when I got my master's, ended up working for a United Health Group, which is an insurance company, oh. a large insurance company in the U.S., Okay. Um, as their as their director of yeah of clinical operations, working with the Medicaid okay. um, program, um, and you'll see that thread in my whole career. I've really been passionate about how how do we make healthcare really uh, just and equitable yeah. um, for underserved populations. Um, and then from there, I worked there for a couple of years. Um, you know, had about eight states that I was traveling to and managing, and just got really tired mm-hmm. from the traveling. Uh, um, my aunt had a stroke and I was like, okay, I need a local job. So I ended up working at the University of Minnesota Medical Center, okay. an academic health center, running their um, community health and interpreter services program. Mm. Um, and did that for about six years. Wow. And then ended up um, doing a lot of really interesting community health initiatives, working with, you know, multilingual patient populations, making them making the system work for them. And I, and I loved it. Um, and I got a, another opportunity to 
apply to become a chief executive officer for a community health center mm. um, in Minneapolis that um, I, I think in, you guys have it in Jackson too. They're called the Federally Qualified Health Centers. Okay. Um, so they are the um, uh, primary care clinics that take care of predominantly low-income people. Oh. And this clinic was started uh, in the in the late '60s, um, and I became their first, um, you know, black CEO, wow. um, which was a big, you know, it's was a, a big deal. Really even big though deal. most of the patients looked like me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the time I got there, and uh, and you know. I had a great opportunity. That was my first time in a in an executive role, uh, but really um, was supported by the board of directors. Uh, did some great work there, um, and ended up, uh, you know, my husband ended up getting a job in in Kenya mm-hmm. and Somalia. So he does he works in international development. So we got this opportunity to to move. Wow. Out of the United States and to come to come back home, as I call it, yeah. back to East Africa. So um, I ended up uh, moving, moving back to the states, uh, moving back to the to the continent. Mm-hmm. And since then, I have um, started a couple of businesses. I do consulting work. I'm doing a social enterprise work, mm-hmm. and just most recently, um, helped found the Africa Public Health Foundation, which is uh, a foundation foundation that is supporting Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention um, as its philanthropic platforms to raise money for COVID. Um, so my journey has really been, uh, you know, in, in some ways I, I could never have predicted yeah. <laughs> where I where I've ended up. But in some ways, I think, as, as you said at the beginning of this um, show, that um, when people have um, passion for for the work that they do and they're mm-hmm. really clear about their purpose, I, I think things fall to place. Because I yeah. feel like a, a lot of times people have guided me yeah. or opportunities have guided me and um, I took on jobs that I didn't have any business taking or yeah. had any prior experience doing. But I think people could see through that, right? They could yeah. see the passion and sometimes the passion um, carries you through some of the most difficult, you know, Yes. Difficult uh, challenges of leading people and managing budgets and and you know doing some of the tedious things that none of us like, right? Um, because it's the people that we're working for that I think get us through through the tough times. Wow, that is such a journey. That is so interesting, and it's just so amazing because to think you came from a refugee to being able to attain all the things that you've been able to attain, you you have drive. So what drives you on a daily basis? What inspires you to get up every morning and keep going? You know, I really believe um, healthcare is a human right. Mm-hmm. And I believe that leadership matters. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that to the extent that I could use my talents and skills, to help our communities realize um, that they have the potential to be as healthy and as well as they need to be, yeah. um, and and to have access to the kind of leadership that we need. I mean, it's easy. I, I feel like as Africans, sometimes whether we're at home or in the diaspora, to complain mm-hmm. about certain things, but. Um, it's much more rewarding to, to take an initiative and to do something. So I've always felt like 
you know, I was put on this earth for a purpose. Um, and that is not to take a back seat. That's yeah. not really to um, complain and whine about things, but to actually say something, do something. Yes. And to, to always put our humanity, um, you know, front and center. Yes. Um, even when it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and the path that I took is leadership, right? Some yeah. people can take different paths. Um, to it, um, and people ask me if I miss the clinical side of healthcare, and I do. Sometimes <laughs> I do miss, <laughs> um, but but I feel like I've had a greater impact mm-hmm. in in the roles that I've been able to play, yeah. and and have left a, a, a track record of of saying that you know African women, Black women can lead yes. in 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 places and states that that we were not typically seen. Um, while still keeping our culture, keeping our values and, and not, um, you know, not shying away from what we bring to the table, but, mm-hmm. but always um, trying to have a, a room for everybody to sit at the table at the yes. same time, to be as inclusive and as collaborative as possible, but, but not giving up your voice and not being too accommodating. Um, which I think that has really been uh, what drives me is just I, I when I see things that need to get done, I want to do it. Yeah. Uh, but I want to do it with people. Yes. I don't want to do it alone. And, and part of that is being inclusive and being, you know, creating a bigger table than, uh, than it, um, is convenient sometimes. Wow. So tell me a little bit about your leadership role. So when you took the CEO position at People Center Health Services, how was that? Because this was the first time you were in an executive role. What what was that experience like for you? Can you walk us through you know those first six months? Because I can tell you that my first six months as an attending is not what I thought it would be. First thought was it was frightening. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you had that same experience, yep. right? Yes. You feel um, incredibly underqualified, underprepared. Um, you you feel like you know you've been set up, <laughs> but, you know. Um, I, I don't know who sets you up, but you just feel like it. Um, and I remember one of the first conversations I had with a couple of the executive board members, mm-hmm. right, the people who were my bosses, and they said to me, "Sarah, we know you can do it. We know you can do it. The challenge is, is huge. Yeah. There's a lot." that need to get done. There's financial issues, there are people issues, there are system issues. Um, but we believe in you and your ability, even though you've never done it before, yeah. we know you can do it. So walk like that, you know, walk wow. into the role, believing in, in your ability, you know, um, to do the work. And the other, so that really gave me some, you know, Assurances that um, that you know I, I wasn't incredibly underqualified or yeah. set up <laughs> that I could do the work. Um, but the other thing that helped me mm-hmm. was also realizing that um, I had support system. Mm-hmm. You know, I had family and friends who really uh, has always been with me. I had mentors. Um, you know, in my from the previous jobs I had, I had uh, colleagues who I had really good relationships with. So what I did is I started to call people, and I tell these people this all the time to new leaders or emerging leaders: yeah. is 
when when you run into a challenge, some people just think I'm failing, so they they run away from people and asking for help. Um, and I think I owe a lot of my my success in the professional uh, development to the my humility and my ability to ask for help. And I ask a lot of help to a lot of different people. And praise, I'll tell you, nobody has said no. I can't help you. Wow. Whether it was asking people to send you know, policies and procedures or saying, I don't understand finances. Can you help me yeah. get this this budgeting, health financing uh, piece uh, for me to understand? I've never worked with board members. How do you work in governance, right. you know? Right. Um, I called the Association of Community Health Centers and I had people sending me experts at no cost, wow. you know, from D.C. to, to Minneapolis. So that I think awesome. I got through it because I asked for help in those first six months and I kept asking until my last day Yes, because it is very challenging. I mean, anybody who tells you um, taking on a leadership or, or, or putting yourself out there is mm-hmm. not difficult. It's not telling the truth. It's one of the most difficult things. <laughs> I mean, not like you doing a transplant work, but <laughs> it comes it's really difficult. close to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it comes very close. So how do you keep your your ego in check then? Because like you're saying, it's like in this, you had to realize that there is no room for pride. Yeah. If you need to get things done, you have to be okay with asking for help. Because I, mm-hmm. feel, I feel like a lot of people have this difficulty in asking for help. I have no problem asking for help. If I am having a problem, I'm having a difficulty, I call one of my partners and I know they'll be right there to help me. So how is it that you deal with things to stay humble, keep your ego in check, and mm-hmm. not be afraid to ask for help? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'd be lying to you if I say that uh, that leaders like me don't have egos. We do, right? But I think you're right. It's keeping it in check. Yep. <laughs> you can't get rid of it. Um, you keep it in check. And I, um, I really feel like, first of all, I walk around thinking that there are a lot of smarter, more competent, more um, inspirational people Mm -hmm. than me, right? So I think that really has always helped me. I'm a middle child, so I I was always, my older siblings have always kept me in check, (laughs) and my younger siblings have always kept me in check, (laughs) so that that helps. Um, And then the other piece I think that has been really helpful for me is, um, you know, thinking about in my work um, and my leadership, I always think about what kind of impact I want to have mm-hmm. um, and the impact and to have the, the type of impact. I'm, I'm very ambitious in that sense. So to have the kind of impact that I always, um, you know, envision uh, for myself, it takes a whole village to be able to do it. Yes. And some of that is, it comes from our upbringing, right? Yeah. I always felt like, you know, my parents always asked for help and they had my aunts and uncles and grandparents helping, yeah. sometimes neighbors helping. So I, there was no shame right, you know, into that because we were not, I wasn't operating from a Eurocentric leadership model. I was operating from an Afrocentric leadership model because mm-hmm. I went to the U.S. fully grown yeah. um, and, and fully formed in my, my own identity as an African. So I think that has helped um, and then the third thing is I always knowing that the I've tested the people I was asking help 
from. Absolutely. There were people that I could trust, that people that have shown up for me. Yes. Um, there were people that wanted me to succeed. Yeah. So I didn't doubt their their intentions. So yeah. those are three things I think that really helped help me, and 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 it does help me still because even coming to Africa, there are a lot of things I don't know. Yeah. And I'm always asking for help wow. to understand what it is that I don't understand <laughs> um, to be effective in the work that I do. So. Did you ever experience, or do you still ever experience imposter syndrome? Yes, that's what I, I was describing this whole time, right? <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It's I, I always feel like I don't know enough. Yeah. Um, I'm not good enough. Yeah. Uh, somebody else should be in, in my shoes um, who could do better. Um, but I, you know what I'll tell you, though? Now that I'm in my 40s, I think it gets better Yeah. with age. So are there things that you did to actually, you know, keep it in check? Because, you know, when I was writing my book, Passion and Purpose, Black Female Surgeons, mm -hmm. all those interviews I did with those 73 women, the one thing that kept, you know, the, all the other things like being driven, determination, perseverance, resilience, grit, Yes, those are things that were common with them. But one thing I didn't expect to see was imposter syndrome. I started learning more about it when I was writing that book because it kept coming up in all the conversations. And I'm like, oh, so this is what it is. That what, what I've been feeling all this time, this is what it actually has a name to it. So it's interesting hearing from a different perspective, from more of a leadership role and not of... Um, physician role you know yeah and I think for the for leaders we have um imposter syndrome I think the 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 function right mm -hmm. the work that we do doesn't allow it just like the surgeons yeah right when you show up to that operating room whatever feelings you have has to be at the door yeah because, you know, you just can't lose that patient, right. right? So for me, coming into an organization or a department or a team meeting, whatever issue I have about my own or insecurities or doubts, or, you know, that I have about my own competency, once I get into the room, there is a part of us that acts, right? Yeah. So you have to act the part. Yeah. And the more you act the part, I think the more you, you feel strong in your, in your sense of self and, and yeah. self-worth. That's what I meant with age is I feel like um, I started in leadership roles when I was, you know, barely 30. And now that I'm, I'm in my 40s, I feel like I am, I have a, uh, the time it takes me to snap out of it. Yeah. It's shorter. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Because, um, because one, we don't have a lot of patience for, you know, a lot of the emotional <laughs> stuff we go through in our, in our 20s and 30s. Um, and then the other thing is actually coming back to Africa has made me even more um, better at it because I am a middle-aged woman in Africa. Right. I'm fully, fully middle-aged. Sometimes, depending on the country I'm in, I may be actually an elder. <laughs> everybody, everybody, you know, from the guy who checks you in at the hotel yes, to the, you know, the minister, everybody is younger than me. <laughs> So I, they're like, oh, you look so young. And I'm like, call me ma'am, you know, <laughs> could be your aunt or call me an auntie. Um, so I think that helps you too, because then I realize I, I, I need to be, uh, um, 
I cannot have the imposter syndrome right. when we have all these young people that are going to look Looking up to up me to now right. for wisdom. And there are people that I need to sometimes give advice or, or, or help them with something. And I, I don't want to pass on that insecurity or that feeling of inadequacy to them. Right. So I think moving back to the continent has helped a little bit. Oh, wow. So, you know, kind of touching on that, how is it that you seem so fearless? Like, how do you conquer your fears? Tell me a little bit about that, because I know there's somebody listening out there who's like, oh, but I'm just so afraid. Like, how do you do it? Where do you get the idea that I'm fearless? <laughs> In everything that I, I know, know about you so far and I've seen about you, you are fearless. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. See, I'm glad you said that. I see. You know how people see you and how you see yourself is yeah. very different, right? Very different. Um, but thanks for saying that. I I don't feel that I am fearless. What I feel like is I think um, I'm driven to succeed, mm-hmm. and and part of uh, part of that drive makes me uh, um, take initiative. Yeah. Uh, take action quicker than most people would. Um, some of it is is that I don't, you know, as I said, you know, getting older is, is a dangerous thing because then you feel like you don't really care what people say about you anymore. Um, that's one thing. But I, what, what has helped me, I think I grew up uh, without a mother. Mm-hmm. My mother died when I was very young. And my father, being so fearful of what would end up with his kids has always been really um, very ambitious and very uh, not pushy, but but really setting the bar high mm-hmm. and always saying, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? He always would say that to me whenever wow. I would have doubts. Like, what's the worst thing that would happen to you? Somebody would that reject you for a awesome. job. Yeah. You know, somebody would say to you, you're not good enough or, you know, or, or they will um, say bad things about you. Mm-hmm. None of it matters, right? Yeah. Because if they reject you, at least you ha- you gave it a shot, and you didn't reject yourself. They yeah. did it. If if they said bad things about your work, it could be that you you actually have room to improve, yeah. or they're not in saying it in good faith. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if you fall, if you fail at it, we have your back. Wow. You no. Know? You have you have a family. You have other things to look forward to yeah. besides a professional career. So just don't tie your self worth and who you are as a person to the work that you're seeking to do. Wow, so I think that, that has there. really helped. Yeah, it was very yeah. very powerful, and, and that's why he was a it was a good mentor to me. Because um, that's a that, that's a message I'm trying to pass on. I think, and that's his legacy, right? Yeah. To my children, wow. is to say, you know. Those three things are still true, but yeah. no matter what you do. So don't, you know, don't go into rooms worried about, um, you know, uh, having fear. Yes. Have courage instead, and and whatever happens, you you'll you'll deal with it. So as you've gotten older, how have you learned to value yourself, be more confident, and just maintain your self esteem? You know, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a still work in progress, yeah. you know, but that's something that I'm really, um, I continue to struggle, right? Negotiating contract, 
you know, talking to people about my worth. I mean, it, yeah. it's really hard. I won't lie to you. Yeah. It's really, really hard. And, and I know I have friends who, have, who are doing much better than I, I am <laughs> about <laughs> this. And I would, I, would love, I would love to learn how they do it. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think what it makes it easier, I think the, the older I am and more um, financially secure mm-hmm. that I am, I, I, I'm just this, I, I, I easily say no. That much yeah. I know. Yeah. I easily say no to things I don't want to do. Um, but the negotiating your self-worth and all of that is still something that I, I struggle with. Changing gears a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your days. How do you structure your days? Because you've got two small children. So what's your routine to get things done? Because you do a lot. So, <laughs> how are you doing all this, founding all this and that, and working with the CDC and running your foundation? Like, how do you structure your day so that you can actually get things done? You know, the, the thing is, you just put one foot before the other. <laughs> um, and, and I have a support system that probably I didn't have in the United States, right? Yeah. We have staff that help at home. Um, and I'm not really ashamed of it. I think, you know, uh, having grown up professionally in the U.S., there's there's um, stigma attached to it. But I think, you know, being a superhuman is not normal. Not right. It's not even um, real. <laughs> right. It's not real. So again, I'm asking for help with my staff to help me uh, help me with things. I have a really supportive husband who does his share of the work, mm-hmm. um, and that has been really helpful. Um, and I'm really organized. I mean, I think this, this is like my little Bible, <laughs> um, the notebook, you know, yeah. writing to-do lists. And, um, and sometimes I, I never get to it. It takes weeks to get through one page. Um, but it, it keeps me accountable, yeah. <laughs> um, to some, some sort. And then I'm also, um, doing a lot of fun things to, mm-hmm. to actually get rejuvenated because I've been in the professional work environments, you know, for 20, 22 years now. Wow. That's a long time. And it's a long time, right? So, and yes, I've I've had different jobs and different things, but work is work. Yeah. And it's not ending. And I have another 30 some years to to do the same work, you know, or I'm I'm not planning on retiring. I'll probably work until I die. (laughs) But it's, you know, when you think of that way, I'm, I'm really thinking that play Mm-hmm. And having fun, we hike. I hike with a group of friends, uh, sometimes with my husband. Um, I do a lot of fun things with the kids out in, in nature. We travel a lot. I mean, not now, thanks to COVID. But I think that helps me too, to mm-hmm. clear my head and refocus. Um, and then I love my job, whatever yeah. I'm doing. You know, that's why I say no to anything that's not exciting. Yeah. Because I, I really think, you know, and, and you write about this and, and you, you're good at this, this, that you need to have the passion to drive you to wake up. Right. You know, because there's right. so many ways to make money. Yeah. <laughs> but make money doing things that you really love doing so that, you know, the, the money is not the motivation, but the actual work is the motivation. And I think that that has really helped me. I have, I've never done and I don't think I'll, you know, I'll ever do something that I didn't really want to do. Wow. That is you know? so important, so important. So in your daily life, how does faith play a, play into your daily life? How is your faith important to you? 
I think faith is important to me just because of the, you know, as a Muslim woman, we have a lot of rituals, right? Mm -hmm. um, and most faiths have it, but ours is, you know, we have the daily uh, prayers five times a day. We have, you know, um, we're really grounded mm -hmm. in, the, in the remembrance of, of a greater, you know, there's a greater reason for us to be here. Yeah. Um, and, and God has put us here for a purpose. So I think it plays a bigger role in, in giving me some sort of structure and a parameter in which to work and frame, you know, yeah. uh, my, my purpose and my work and my family. Um, that has a lot to do with it. And I think some of my values deep down, I think, are rooted in faith. Mm -hmm. I think that some of them are rooted in pure culture, our Somali culture, uh, but most of them are rooted in faith. Yeah, and you know, telling the truth, you know, not not taking things that are not yours, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, being ethical about things. Um, so those are, I, I think, I refer to it when people ask me, where do those things come from, or yeah. why do you always align, um, align, you know, your values? Because I remember leaving a job um, at one point because mm -hmm. I just felt like it just didn't align with my values. Yeah. You were saying, oh, but it makes a lot of money. Why would you be leaving that work? I'm like, that wasn't important. Yeah. Once I just feel like this is not the, the people I'm working with, the work I'm doing yeah. doesn't align with my own values and how I want to live and how I want to work. Um, it's easy to live. And then when I left, I was like, where did this come from? And I had to dig down. And it's really those, the, the faith that I was raised with. Yeah. Um, and not wanting to compromise. So in this changing world then, where it's so easy to compromise your values, your morals, how do you then stay true to yourself and disciplined? Because it's hard. Yeah. You know, I mean, we make mistakes, right? I mean, that's why, I'm, you know, I, I think, I feel like I'm a, I'm, I'm a disciplined, but not disciplined to the point where, you know, I, I do the right things all the time. I think we all make mistakes. Yeah. Um, but I think no the one here. of the, <laughs> right? Yeah. But one of the things I think that also comes with age and with practice and with, with soul searching yeah. as, as we grow is this whole idea of you have to be self-aware. Mm -hmm. And 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 when you're on a path that you that's just not the right path, getting out of it. Yeah. When, when you start to think about things in a way that is not aligned with your your faith or family values that you were raised with, snapping out of it, you know, um, I think that has has been really key to me because I, I always say um, that I am, you know, socially on the conservative side, yeah. but my thoughts are liberal, you know, <laughs> <laughs> politically, right? You know, I'm, I'm just thinking about, I think I, I, I really believe there are multiple ways to be, yeah. you know, and everybody has dignity and everybody has worth and everybody's thoughts and, and perspectives are important. Um, but then what I do... Yeah, is more conservative. Yeah. 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 And I, think I, totally, I totally can understand that because I feel like I'm the same way. Where it's like, yeah. I may be a little more, because my husband is always like, but you're more conservative. I'm like, yeah, the way I am is more conservative, but the way Not I view thoughts. things and the way my thoughts are, it's very liberal. <laughs> right, right. And, and I think growing up in the U.S., 
professionally also helps you see that mm -hmm. that the the diversity of thoughts and diversity of lifestyles and diversity of, of uh, ways that people are um, can be really valued. Yes, um, and it can be valuable. That doesn't mean we all have to do things that our friends and colleagues and you know yeah. neighbors are doing. But but we can't be so close-minded and so judgmental about it. Um, we could only really control what we do. So that's how I ex I have explained even to my um, kids that this is how we do. Yeah. And um, and that everybody else and their way of being and doing is not less important. Yeah. Or less, you know, it's just not us. Yeah. This is us. That's them, and we can coexist, and we can we can all be one big happy family, um, global family. Absolutely. So, what lessons do you wish you had learned in your thirties that you you can look at now that you're like in your yeah you're like in your early forties, and you can look back and you can be like, huh, in my thirties, if I had known this, this would have made my life so much easier. <laughs> For that woman that's just starting her thirties journey, yeah, I think I would say don't try to do everything at once. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I was so driven. I was so you know, I, I wanted to be successful wife and successful mother and successful you know worker. Um, and a successful daughter and a sister and, and you know and it almost really broke me. Yeah. Um, and you know I tell this uh, funny but sad story of I remember going to you know I, I remember I see pictures of me at weddings or birthday parties and I I don't remember physically wow. I was there but mentally I was so exhausted. Yeah. From, all those things that sometimes when I look at the pictures, I'm like, I don't know who this person is yeah. and why they were there, yeah. you know? But it's me trying to be everywhere and do everything, right. and, you know? And not living in the moment. Um, not living in the moment and, and not saying no to the to things you needed to say no to and saying yes yeah. to things and sequencing. So I would really say just don't, just chill. <laughs> um, there's plenty of, of uh, time for you to do things. Um, and uh, and saying no is not a bad thing. So that that's one one really important piece. Um, and then the other one, which is really is tied to that, is um, you know focusing on my own health. Mm -hmm. You know, I yeah. I mean I I think I could have done better job exercising and eating well and really taking care of myself and yeah. getting massages and, you know, just really focusing, you know, now it's called radical self-care. <laughs> radical self-care. Um, I haven't right? heard Which that I, term yet. <laughs> right? We don't know anything about it. <laughs> um, but that, you know, I, I started late in my 30s and, and that helped, but I, I wish I had known that, that that is just as important. And yes. we come first before our husbands and our children and our work. Yeah. Um, I think that that was really important. And then the, the last thing I think I would say is, um, you know, surround yourself with the, the, the type of people that lift you up. Wow. You know, and that one I got it. I got it right, yeah. <laughs> luckily. Um, and it's what was pure luck yeah. that that happened. I wasn't intentional about it, but I think 
uh, I could have been even, I could have done a better job had I been intentional and seeking the right people yeah. to be in my, you know. Yeah, that in is my so village. important. It is. It, it really is. Because uh, you're going to run into tough times and as a mom, as, you know, uh, as, as a human being. And I think the more people you have in your circle that yeah. you can depend on and trust to, to get you through difficult times, I think the better. Uh, the better you'll be. Wow. Those are some great lessons. I know there's somebody who's listening right now who will be like, wow, I never thought about that. Now I can make this change in my life. So right. final question. Who are two people, dead or alive, that you would love to just sit with, have dinner with, and just learn from? Two. Wow. <laughs> just two. Just two. <laughs> Um, you know, and this probably people won't, are not expecting it, but I really, really admired Maya Angelou. Yes. Um, I have all her books in, in my bookies. I book do too. I have all her poetry. <laughs> I have some of her pictures. And I remember she came to my college a few years ago um, when she was aging. Yeah. And I didn't want to leave because, Aww. you know, I just wanted, I to, just wanted to soak up space. everything. So, <laughs> yeah. So she would be one. But one, because I think, um, like, as she became mother at a young age, had to raise her children and, and really struggle mm -hmm. through that and did really good job, you yeah. know, um, despite of, of it all. And at a time that it wasn't, you know, when you and I were doing it, yeah. people have done it for years. Right, right. <laughs> Her age group, that has not been done. But she was also very graceful as a woman. She was just well put together, really thoughtful. And, yeah. you know, I, I wanted to learn and soak up everything about, about how she lived her life. Wow. So she would be one. Um, the other person that I wish I'd spent, I mean, I spent some time, is my great-grandmother. Mm -hmm. And she lived um, up until in her 90s. Um, wow. And I hear, I mean, she told me a few stories, and I have a few stories um, of her. But the more I hear, the older I get, the more I hear. She passed away in 2011 in San Diego. Mm -hmm. and, um, and her name was Khadija. And I just think she could have, some of the struggles I've had or some of the the self-doubts and things like that. Mm -hmm. She was quick-witted. Yeah. You know, she was so strong, so quick-witted, so um, uh, self, um, what if it's the right word, you know? Yeah. Self-assured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and I wish I had spent more time as I was growing up um, to sit with her and get all of that wisdom yes. and actually write her own story. Oh, wow. For my own children and, and grandchildren, because it, it, from what I'm hearing, she was a, just a really remarkable woman that um, that I wish I had more time with her. Wow! Wow, yeah. that's beautiful. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for. I know yeah. it's like late over great. there. It's past bedtime, so I appreciate you making time, fitting into my day.
So let's talk a little bit about resilience. Resilience is the psychological quality that allows some people to be knocked down by the adversities of life and to come back as strong or stronger than they were before. I have 10 practical ways of how you can build resilience. Number one, you have to believe in something bigger than you. For me, it's God. My relationship with God is what keeps me grounded and it's where I draw my strength. One of the prayers that I have been praying recently is, Lord, please give me the courage, take away the fear and doubt. Help me to trust in you and to believe in myself. Very simple, everyday prayer. Number two, always have a goal to work towards, even if it's as small as getting up 30 minutes early to get your devotion and your workout in. Because once you have that out of the way, it will set up your day for success. Number three, tragedy and hardship often lead to growth if we are open to it. Figure out how you can grow each day. Number four, connections with others is so important. Find your tribe, find those who are like-minded and who will support you, especially in the difficult times. You will need to lean on them. Number five, stop negative thoughts in their tracks. You are in control of your thoughts and your feelings. Stop worrying, focus on what you have control over rather than spending time on what's beyond your control. Number six, take time to take care of yourself, mind, body, spirit. For me, journaling, prayer, and meditation are key. Number seven, be brave. Fear is normal. Condition yourself to do it afraid. Get comfortable in the uncomfortable. Number eight, avoid negative outlets that only put a bandage on your problem, like alcohol, drugs, or any other unhealthy habits. Find healthy ways to manage your stress rather than completely trying to eliminate it because that's not possible. Number nine, find ways to serve others. Helping others gives us purpose. And number 10, accept change and maintain a positive outlook on life. It's hard to be positive when things are not going the way you want them to, but being optimistic is so important. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Ciao.